Southeast Radio's morning mix. Chat, news, and your views. Alan Corcoran. Good morning, Alan. Happy New Year to you and uh, to your listeners. Return to school. We've heard from two school principals, one primary, one secondary. A lot of thought was put into this. Do you regret the decision that was made, or do you think it was one that had to be made, the return to school? No, I think the return to school is something that is the right thing to do and something I I fully support and it's something I think that did have to be done and I was in contact with my own principal there in Educate Together Primary School in Wexford Town, I'm sure the Board of Management there getting a a handle on how that school is handling it. I think, look, I think you've you've had the Children's Ombudsman, you've had the Child Rapporteur, you've had Bernardo's and a lot of other uh, child-centred supporters, if you like, have been out uh, showing how important it is to get the schools reopened. We've learned an awful lot from the previous school closures and we know that for, for working parents but, but most importantly for the children themselves they suffer an awful lot from being out of school. Their education hurts, their um, their, their mental health hurts, their uh, their social development hurts and for some children they're in kind of risky situations at home as well often for a few kids anyway, the best support they get is actually in school. And I remember, with, again, with because the school I'm most familiar with, uh, the Educate Together School, that when the schools reopened, the huge effort that had to be put in by, by principals and teachers to be able to get children to be able to catch up on what they had missed out. And that's a huge challenge as well. So I think it's the best thing, but it, it, it is being done and has to be done in a safe as manner as possible and realising the challenges and the risks that teachers and principals are facing because it is not easy. But I think also what we're looking at here, we're, we're seeing the numbers coming out of, for example, South Africa. They're past the peak now, and the numbers actually fell by a third in terms of people getting COVID in a single week. Hmm. So this Omicron seems to be something that peaks very quickly, spreads very rapidly, but actually then does fall quite quickly afterwards. So I think we're facing probably three or four very, very difficult weeks. The peak is coming in about nine days. Well, we will start to see a rapid fall. So I think there's an awful lot of hope there, especially when you consider the Omicron. While it's far more transmissible than the Delta variant that we've just seen, it is also seems to be an awful lot da- less dangerous. And we're a country with very high uh, vaccination rates and now the highest in Europe for the booster vaccination as well. So I think there's an awful lot of hope there, but some challenging weeks in front of us okay. until we get to that point where, where as, uh, we start to see that hope, I think, in reality. Nine days is when you think it will hit the peak. Now let's look at the reaction to the new government directives regarding travel. What has happened here? So when Omicron was first identified um, and, for, uh, and the South Africans identified it firstly, and uh, he'd probably wrongly blamed for starting there. I think they were just very judicious in spotting it and, for, and in fairness, let us all know about it. But when that was identified, restrictions were put in place. You have to do uh, an antigen test or you have to have a negative PCR tests as well as being vaccinated to come into Ireland. Now that had a huge impact on families and on people trying to travel and on business as well because people were afraid that well if I left the country and got a positive test on my last day somewhere well, then I wouldn't be able to get back in for 10 days. You'd have to isolate wherever you were for 10 days. And I attended a justice conference uh, with all the justice ministers from across Europe to try and tackle crime in Europe there just before Christmas and I was conscious. I did a test just before I came back to get back on the plane and I was conscious that if this was positive, I was going to have to stay where I was for 10 days over Christmas, but luckily it was negative. So that, that has now gone. Mm-hmm. So it means that people can now travel if uh, without having that fear of being effectively stuck wherever they're going for an extra 10 days and having to isolate uh, in another country for 10 days. So 
I think that that would be a relief to a lot of families right. who have family members from outside of Ireland uh, or, or people travelling. It'll be good for the travel industry okay. as well. What, what's so likely to happen with the close contact rule that's being discussed at the moment? Is that likely to be reduced from the five days if you are fully vaccinated, including the booster? What's what's likely to happen with that? Yeah, so the, the Taoiseach has asked the... Um, has asked our health services to um, and NIAC to look at this and see can we reduce the number of days that you would have to isolate. A number of, number of other countries have brought this in because um, Omicron, it, it, it does react and does uh, work differently than Delta and also the risk factors are different as well. And then, of course, you have to always assess every situation against the the impact on our society as well. So I think I expect it probably will be reduced, but we're waiting to hear that. We'll probably expect to hear that at either this evening or in the morning. We'll know about that, whether to reduce those number of days. And if they are reduced, it will it will help an awful lot. Again, businesses and our education sector and our healthcare sector where right. people won't have to stay out for as long as they currently do. So we can get people back quickly in, in, into, into the workplace. I've been discussing with uh, your fellow Oireachtas members, well, Deputy Verona Murphy and Senator Malcolm Byrne, their reaction, well, I didn't get a chance to talk about the IDA to Malcolm Byrne yet, but I did talk to Verona Murphy about it. We had um, Ray Griffin on from WIT. He gave us some alarming figures that we're nearly up to 4,000 jobs short of what we're entitled to from the IDA's efforts. Um, Where do you see the pressure needs to go from here to there to get more jobs for Wexford Minister? Yeah, and Ray Griffin has been a champion of this for a long time and it's something I raise myself consistently in opposition and have been working with the relevant ministers since uh, we came, Fianna Fáil came back into government for the first time in 10 years. And we have an awful lot of infrastructural problems and one of my key aims uh, in government is not simply to get, say, 100 jobs or 200 jobs that could be gone again in five years, but to address those infrastructural reasons why we're not getting those jobs. So we've seen, for example, we now expect that this year we'll get the announcement of the new technological university for the southeast, which is a major reason that has been constantly put forward and, and maybe an excuse, but for us not getting those jobs. And we'll get our campus in Wexford Town as well the greatest funding ever be put into Rosser Europort because I think that can unlock massive economic development for the Wexford and the South East. But the idea that they, they, they haven't had much interest in Wexford, they have given some jobs, but certainly not the attention and the number of jobs that we should have. And we don't have the land either. And I, I have challenged the idea on this several times and I'll be, um, I'll be meeting with the IDA again very, very soon and I'm pushing forward and I think there's a lack of understanding in the IDA of the, the huge potential and the strengths that County Wexford has, our closeness to Dublin and Dublin Airport, Rossier Europort and the catchment is there and a skilled right. workforce. I heard Ray mentioning that uh, Minister Simon Harris may have said to him that the IDA are saying there's a lack of trained people from the South East. But actually, I know a lot of those trained people. The problem is they're not living in the southeast anymore. They went to school with me, but they're living in Dublin. But a lot of them will be prepared to come back home if the jobs are there. So there's a bit of a chicken and egg. Right. But I'm determined to get that idea to address the historical deficit for our county because it is unacceptable in my view how the IDA have not put those supports into the southeast or Wexford. They have started to put them into the southeast a little bit, but they need to start putting those jobs into county Wexford. But I think in fairness to Tom Enright and Wexford County Council, they are helping to address those deficits as well. So we see the new tech park in Inniscorty Town, mm-hmm. which is going to be a fantastic park. That's starting, uh, that will be ready to be occupied in the summer. I'm determined to get that 
put that, uh, that first building okay. filled so we can move on to the second building. So I can take it from you that it will be a priority to put the pressure on the IDA to deliver what we're basically looking for our entitlements and I think Ray uh, stated quite clearly he had the stats. We're, we're about four, nearly 4,000 jobs short of what the IDA should be getting for Wexford. It's as simple as get us the jobs, do your job. Absolutely, 100%. The idea should be delivering those jobs through Wexford. And what, what I'm doing is fighting to get the infrastructure put in place so the idea no longer have the excuses right. that I think are just excuses, but that have been put out there. Okay. They need to start visiting Wexford and providing those jobs there. But I say working with Wexford County Council, working with, I know Minister Robert Troy has uh, put an awful lot of effort into Wexford as well. And it's not just the idea, Enterprise Ireland now as well, I think is starting to look at the southeast in Wexford. There's a lot of aspects there, but I, I, I think the, it is coming together, but it is very, very frustrating uh, okay. for, for, my, for myself, and I, I, I intend to see it done and delivered. My thoughts go back to many years ago when I started doing this show first, and Brendan Howland was in here in studio with me, and we had what they called the leaked document with the future Wexford General Hospital. We now have a completely different document, the missing document. Here's a clip from uh, Jack Saron speaking to me yesterday. I met the Minister the other day below on the bridge. Minister Dunham? I asked yeah. him, yes, for yeah. the first time I ever met him the other day, yeah. and I asked him about getting signed Michael McGrath. Minister Brown told me it wasn't on Michael McGrath's table. I wanted to find out from the TDs, where is it? Time for talking is over. This has to be signed and approved. And if I was a TD in the government today, if I was, yeah. I'd be knocking on Michael McGrath's door to find out where this form to be signed. Because County Minister Brown is up there since March 2020. Gone to the government. Yeah. I signed, you were in the, you were in the, I was in the room. said with me yeah. in 2012 when we signed it. That's 10, 11 years ago nearly. It is still not signed. The people are sick of being talking about it. The people are frustrated. The people want to come into the doors. All right, that was Jack Sarone's uh, certainly fired up yesterday about this, Minister. What is the story with this document? And can you uh, kind of, I suppose, rubber stamp what he's just said there? Or do you disagree with him? Yeah, well, I, can, I can certainly give you answers. And um, look, I live in a Scotty town and I, I, I've lived with the proposals for the infrastructure for the flood relief for a long, long time. Um, so I think we have to remember there was a proposal for a flood relief scheme um, funding there first. Uh, proposed back uh, in the early noughties and Councillor Owens was one of the leading proponents against it and the, that federal release scheme was killed off in two th- early 2009. So, sorry, against it? He was against it? Uh, yeah, they, yeah and look, I'm not criticising Councillor Owens for that. I mean, there was a number of other politicians opposed to it as well. Okay. But- that, I mean, that federally scheme was there, it was ready to go. Some people didn't like the design of it, and, and that was their entitlement and the right to, to disagree with that, mm. and it was killed off by Unescorted Town Council at the time. Um, so the whole thing had to start again. And what the OPW did, that the contract that's been referred to that, has, that was signed in 2012, that wasn't a contract. What effectively it was, was the OPW came back and said, look, we're not going to spend billions on another proposal for a federally scheme unless we know we have the support of the town council. So that was more akin to a memorandum of understanding that the council would support. Now, in fairness, the councillor Owens changed his views on the federal scheme. Once it was proposed, we wouldn't have walls, we would have glasses instead. So look, I acknowledge that they, they changed a few, right. but I think we can't be rewriting okay. history So either. where is it now, so where, Minister? Where is, that now? Yeah. where is it at now? Where is this document? So, why is it not signed? So 
So we've had four years of consultations, planning, design, public consultations, so the people of the Unescorted could have their say. It is now at the very end stage where it is with independent assessors. They're akin to a legal role of onboard Panola. They can't be interfered with. They assess and decide whether it meets environmental and other legal requirements. Mm. And that's where it's at. So that's why when we say it's not on Minister McGrath's desk, it's not. We're waiting to come for us, come back from the independent assessors, and then he will uh, effectively sign it off at that stage. So it's a legal process. The reason it can't be interfered with is that if Minister McGrath or anybody else um, overrode the independent assessors, Mm -hmm. well, then it would end up as a judicial review in the High Court and held up for another four or five years. So it's very, very frustrating. So when is it likely to be signed then? When are people in Enniscorthy finally going to get the good news that this is going to go ahead? Can you give us any idea when it's going to be signed? I can't give you a definite date, but the, what Minister McGrath has said to me, because I've beaten a path to his door on this since, yeah. since we got back into government, he has said that it will be back before him imminently, is what he has said. So he, I, I am expecting that then within a few weeks that he, was, he will have it back before him. Right. There is a risk that the independent assessor will actually say they want further information from Wexford County Council. Anyone who's been to Mbopanola will know what that mm-hmm. means, effectively, that they're, they're looking for clarity on something that could delay for another few months. But it, it will be delivered. I am 100% certain on okay. that. But that's, that, that's kind of the history of it, though. It, it's frustrating, but if you were building a motorway in the morning, it would take about five years for a lead-in in terms of all the public consultations right. and planning design, as we've seen with the... OK, with well, look, you say eminently, but... hopefully it will come to pass. So just one final quick question for you from a listener who says, people who are flooded and working are being penalised. If your house was flooded, it shouldn't matter. Poor workers always get a bad deal. What's the position with funding for people who are lost out and are actually working? It's means-tested, is it, or what's happening there? Yeah, so the the this, the humanitarian support scheme is means tested, but it's a very very generously means tested. Um, so if you were a working couple, say for example with two children, well then you're allowed to earn up to seventy thousand euros mm. and still get the whatever full compensation that may be available to you. Um, after the seventy thousand euros you lose 1% per 1,000 euro of income. So even if you're earning, say, 90,000 euros, you would still get 80% support. So it's a very generous means testing that's there. It's also not very onerous. I was talking to the Department of Social Protection. So, for example, they don't look for a load of bank account details or anything like that. They look for some very basic information. But it's raising this means test is if you didn't have a means test, I think the government would be very... Uh, open to being criticised because I think you would have some politicians coming out and saying, "Well, on now, this is a humanitarian aid, and we're prepared to give it to millionaires." Okay. You know, I, I think the government will be criticised for that. So it is means tested. It's very generously means tested, however, and it's to ensure that effectively very wealthy people are, are benefiting from what is humanitarian aid. But um, yeah. as I say, I, I would say to anybody who is working, you know, and there was, I think, some misinformation put out there. Some people were told you're not entitled to any funding wrongly. Get your application in and and let the, the department assess it. Okay, have to leave it there. Thank you for taking our call this morning. Do keep us up to date with the developments on the flood relief scheme when that document arrives at Minister McGrath's uh, table and is finally signed off because that is what a lot of people are asking for. That was the Minister of State, James Brown. Southeast Radio's Morning Mix. Chat, news and your views.